they say that a data scientist is somebody who knows more statistics than a software engineer but yeah. knows more coding than a statistician so i think you have to be at that juncture somewhere in the where, middle yeah somewhere in the middle but when it comes to interviews uh, your interview is going to mostly solely test you on technical skills so make sure that that is strong as well and that actually the 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 formula is pretty standard that do a little bit of uh, coding on all of these coding websites um one advice that i would give is probably to find local mentors or people that you know who are close to you who you can uh, talk to probably like let's say at least once a month so we work on something called ab testing so over there um like you're trying to see if a green button would work better than a red button or not like which is working a better Hey welcome back everyone I'm Ishan Sharma and in this podcast episode we will be learning from Juhi Singh how did she get started with data science and how did she become a data scientist at Coursera she is currently working as a data scientist at Coursera and uh, we'll just be learning from her how did she transfer from a finance background as uh, she did her finance masters from MIT US to now working as a data scientist at Coursera right i hope you will get tons of value from this if you are uh you know wondering about how how to get started with data science what are the great projects that, that you can do how can you make a profile a resume that would be great for a data science job position then make sure that you watch this video till the very end you will learn a lot from this okay so yeah i hope you will enjoy this uh she is also a bits pilani alumni and and i did a completely different interview with her talking about her experience with bits pilani and mit i'll link it somewhere over here so go watch that if you want to but yeah now let's get continue with this podcast episode that's amazing and like uh, okay so now that you've gone from uh, mit so tell me a little bit about how did you uh, come into the data scientist role from coursera uh, yeah Um so initially when I joined the finance program I was really into finance because I was working in finance in Mumbai in Credit Suisse that too I think the internship I got from uh, from my PS2 was what led me there so I feel like I attribute all of it to bits that having an economics degree and having a really good GPA landed me with that internship in Credit Suisse and then I was able to convert that PS2 into a full time job and then just having Credit Suisse in my resume actually uh impressed the MIT admissions committee i suppose that it's actually a pretty well known financial institution yeah. mm-hmm. so given the fact that i had two years of work experience because one year as an intern and one year as an as a full time employee i think that really helped um uh, so i i really wanted to work on wall street and like earn a lot of money amount went <laughs> out but then uh, and i did get a really good internship uh, in a company called blackrock it is the largest asset management company in the world it is on wall street so all of my dreams were getting fulfilled with that internship and i was working as a quant intern so there was nothing better that i could have asked for and i was very happy when i got it but when i started working there i realized the other side of finance where it's pretty gloomy or i wasn't really enjoying what i was doing or even if i was enjoying it then i could see that maybe 30 to 40 years down the line that is not something that i would want to do and also after coming to the us it opens up your um, your horizons or just makes you aware of all the other things that are happening and yeah. to me i always i feel like i'm a growth oriented person so i always mm-hmm. want to be where uh, where there's growth and i felt like in the past 30 years most of the development that has come in the world has come from silicon valley 
value right yeah. from uh, from semiconductors to anything uh, that you can think of most of the value pro- uh, providing companies are in the bay area so i was like i want to be where all the action is yeah. and uh, i realized that okay if i want to be in the bay area i'm not a software engineer i don't have a coding background i did know python and sql and r from my previous job and just picking it up along the way uh, and uh, because of working in finance i did have some number crunching abilities um, and some statistics knowledge because of economics so yeah. i feel like in the end it all kind of came together because mm-hmm. i always had a thing for a little bit of thing for coding even though i didn't do it a lot and because of my economics background i had econometrics and all the statistics things done so i realized that maybe data scientist is what i can aspire to um, yeah. and so i started looking for data science roles in the bay area and uh, i ended up with coursera mm-hmm. what was the process like interviewing at coursera because you've done a bunch of coursera courses <laughs> and then you yeah. went to interview for yeah. coursera itself like <laughs> i feel like all of the coursera courses that i did actually helped me get the job at coursera <laughs> because uh, all of the python and r and sequels that i learned um, half of it i learned on my job and the other half i think i practiced on coursera so i already had a very high uh, uh, level of respect for coursera and um, it's very important to develop connections i feel so i actually had uh, a bitsin friend who was working at coursera at the time and i reached out to all of my bitsin friends in the bay area asking them if they would be willing to refer me to the companies and uh, he helped me um, you know get a hang of the bay area and also just helped me with the interviews mm-hmm. and that's how i ended up at uh, coursera okay so like i want to ask if you are, if someone wants to be a data scientist is it really important to have a masters degree or is it also possible just from a bachelor's degree to get into a data scientist role uh if you think about it actually there there aren't that many masters in data science or at least i would say four five years ago there weren't that many masters in data science kinds of profiles so i would say that it is definitely easy uh it's definitely possible uh, but you will have to upskill yourself and try and make your profile appealing to uh, to these people and there are like some uh, standard ways of doing that Mm-hmm. you have to know a little bit of coding you have to know statistics so they say that a data scientist is somebody who knows more statistics than a software engineer but yeah. knows more coding than a statistician so i think you have to be at that juncture somewhere in the where, middle yeah somewhere in the middle where you're able to code and also you're able to understand statistics or machine learning as well yeah all right and what does your day look like in uh, coursera as a data scientist um so i mostly work uh, with experimentations and uh, causal inference with the product so for example let's say that if you are building or let's say you are working for flipkart and flipkart mm-hmm. wants to know how can it grow its user base or what kind of testing can it do or where should it expand so my role at a very high level is to be able to provide the data that the company needs to be able to grow and uh, everything else is secondary in terms of the tools that i use in terms of the language that i code in in terms of what visualization that i use or what mechanics that i use to get at the data doesn't really matter so it can range from doing like a differences in difference analysis or mm-hmm. doing a regression analysis or uh, just having like an unsupervised model uh, training it, that doesn't matter but what matters is how am i able to help my company uh, make more data informed decisions mm-hmm. okay so, and for a lot of people that want to get into data science how should they prepare for these interviews like uh, when you uh, want to get into a software engineer role there's obviously hacker rank there's code forces and all these competitive yeah. coding websites but for yeah. uh, specifically data science there's only like kaggle 
So like how should yeah. one proceed to uh, prepare for these interviews? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I always feel like um, in your undergrad days, you can probably focus a little bit more on statistics because statistics essentially is the foundation of data science, according to me. So um, be good at statistics. Be good at, let's say, uh, CP1, CP2, or I don't know what you guys call it. Uh, yeah, we still have it right now in the first year, yeah. C++. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think that gives a good foundation. But on top of that, you have to know either one of the two languages because it's mostly either Python or R. Hmm. I would suggest that if somebody is not, let's say, in computer science, uh, pick one language. If I had to give my preference, I would say pick Python because okay. Python just helps you in general in other aspects as well. But yeah, if you're an R person, go for R as well. Uh, but yeah, so um, for me, it would be uh, get good at statistics, take a bunch of Coursera courses. Uh, <laughs> the good part about the Coursera courses is that they're providing us uh, these free access, right? So especially yeah. the bits we have, like unlimited courses we can do right now for free. So that's really yeah. amazing. So you should definitely take those courses. I would say uh, uh, make use of the free courses that you have right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are a couple of really good specializations that we have. I think there's one called... Uh, data science with python i yeah. think i'm not mm-hmm. sure yeah uh, that's a good specialization just as an introduction but also know that these are just courses they will not prepare you for the real world completely yeah. uh, i think the best way uh, to get a real world experience is probably to do kaggle um, okay. i know that kaggle is the only source you don't have to enter competitions if you're not comfortable with it but mm-hmm. just start doing exercises start with exploratory data analysis yeah you don't have to jump into machine learning right away. I think but that most people end up doing the most common uh, data sets, like the, you have the Titanic data yeah. set and the C part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done those and those are pretty good, but like everyone does them. So like, how do I, how do I stand out of the majority of people in my resume? It's interesting because actually a majority of the resumes, because now that we also interview data science candidates, most of their resumes kind of look the same. Like everybody would have done an NLP on Twitter sentiment analysis or like a couple of very standard uh, projects that people do. Or yeah, the same data sets that uh, you see floating in Kaggle. Um, I would say that is a good start. Um, If you are able to try and get an intern in India um, about like data science and how do you get it. But I would say that even uh, if you're able to get something in the first year itself, um, that's a good uh, place to start because nothing can train you as having some experience in the real world can. Um, Mm -hmm. One advice that I would give is probably to find local mentors or people that you know who are close to you, who you can uh, talk to probably like, let's say, at least once a month who are working as data scientists because the amount of training and information that they can give you is not something that even Kaggle can. Yeah. And having a real human help you. And that is something that I feel I should have done a long time ago is have mentors. Mm-hmm. So have at least a couple of people who are working in the data science field right now, who you can talk to every month or so. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they might be able to give you a more personalized uh, recommendation about what uh, you should be doing at that particular moment. Um, yeah, because whatever I tell you would probably be a very blanket advice, but mm-hmm. what they would tell you would be more personal. Okay. So, Yeah. And there are a bunch of really good data science blogs as well. I personally like... Towards like data Bits. science is a really amazing, I think, from media. Hmm? Yeah, Towards Data Science is really amazing. Uh, if you want to see what people are doing in real time or in real companies, I would say Netflix has a really good blog. Uh, Stitch Fix has a really good blog about what okay. they do. Airbnb's data science blog is pretty good. Mm-hmm. So I feel like uh, try and find companies who are known uh, to be at the forefront of data science, both in India as well as in the world. And then see what kind of problems are they trying to tackle. 
um, and if possible, then get a mentor and try and discuss those. Mm-hmm. I think that would give you a really good sense. Yeah. Okay. But when it comes to interviews, uh, your interview is going to mostly solely test you on technical skills. So make sure that that is strong as well. And that actually the, the, the formula is pretty standard that do a little bit of uh, coding on all of these coding websites. Um, and then for, for the EDA stuff, I think this is what is best. Uh, Kaggle okay. is probably the best. Option yeah. That mm-hmm. What is the difference between a data scientist and a machine learning engineer? If there's a position like that, because I've heard about that a little bit. Yeah, I would say that a machine learning engineer probably does more software engineer things than okay. a data scientist. A data scientist probably is more well equipped with statistic stuff. So in the domain of, and data scientist is actually a pretty large term in the sense that a lot of data analysts could also have the term data scientists. But mostly the things that a data scientist does, which a machine learning engineer does, does not do, is probably work on experimentation. So we work on something called A-B testing. So over there, um, like you're trying to see if a green button would work better than a red button or not, like which is working better, or you'll try to do a causal inference. Design-wise, like in your, in UI, UX thing? Um, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, actually. So let's say that for half of the for half of your customers, you're showing a red button, and okay. for the other half, you're showing a green button, mm-hmm. and then you see that people are more inclined to click the green button. Mm-hmm. Then that would mean that you should probably have the green button on your... Uh, on your website and you wouldn't believe how much of a difference can this make because Mm -hmm. even if you increase let's say the click-throughs by 10% that could actually mean like a 1 million dollar increase in your revenue uh, like in one in a year so those things really matter a lot but then you also should know how to read the data so in in those cases statistics really helps a lot Um, knowing what kind of different uh, tools or methods that you have so I would say that be really good at econometrics things. So like regression analysis, uh, differences and differences, controlled regression. What do these mean? How, how do you use that? Um, so, th- so this is something that a data scientist might do, which a machine learning engineer might not do. Machine learning engineers mostly are, uh, also have to deploy code in production because it's based on their machine learning model that, uh, that spits out like real-time recommendation, for example, uh, real-time algorithms. Um, so I think a lot of the work that data scientists do is is behind the curtain. It is mm-hmm. not happening in real time, uh, okay. but a lot of the things that machine learning engineers do. So they have to, like, uh, yeah, they have to be better at coding, I would say, than a regular data scientist. All right. Now, one question I had personally is that I was recently learning about uh, AutoML. These are automated mm-hmm. models that people, that a lot of companies like Salesforce and Google use. So what do you think, is that going to reduce the, the demand for data scientists and all? Um, I don't think so. Because, yeah, those are some of the things that all of these uh, niche, niche companies or niche teams are doing. Uh, but that still means that you still want to have people uh, to be looking at the data to be able to provide recommendations to the product directly. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I would say that that field is going to increase for sure or that field is going to to expand a lot. So yeah, if you are interested in deep learning or AI, I feel like this is the time to get into all of those domains. But that doesn't mean that the demand for data scientists might become obsolete. I don't see that happening for the next 10 to 15 years. Same Mm -hmm. as the case with software engineers as well, that technically, yeah, one day we might have AI writing code for for us. uh, But that doesn't mean that the demand for software engineers is going to go down anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was crazy. Like there was this recent uh, video on YouTube in which there was this one per, uh, person who was talking about this uh, application AI that was actually writing Python code. And all of us yeah. that were in college we were like, what will happen to us now? 
No, I think I think those days are still pretty far away, and I feel like right now, yeah, the con- both the country as well as the world could use a lot more software engineers. Mm-hmm. Like even though software, in- there are so many software engineers out there. I feel like there's still a shortage of software engineers both in the US and in India. So I'm saying this is the case for data scientists as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now the thing is, uh, when I was like a little kid, when I was in tenth grade or something, I used to see uh, all of these news, and they were saying that uh, data science is the next big trend. You know, data analysts and all. And so immediately, everyone was like, "Become a data scientist. Become a data scientist." So, what do you see uh, looking going forward into 2020 and beyond for uh, the growth of this particular uh, data scientist role? Will it increase? Will it decrease? Oh, it would definitely increase just because, um, so there is this really interesting article, I forget by who, but uh, it talks about uh, the uh, Maslow's hierarchy for data. If you get a chance, you should check it out. So it talks about, uh, it's like a pyramid of sorts, which talks about what are some of the fundamental things that you need in order for AI to be possible. Um, So uh, I feel it begins with data infrastructure, which basically brings the data from all different sources into your database or data warehouse, whatever you have, followed by um, data engineering, followed by decision science, followed by uh, machine learning, and then followed by AI. So it is very clear that if AI or all of these top, uh, the niche things have to grow, everything underneath also has to grow. So the amount of data that we're dealing with right now is not something that we were dealing with 10 years ago. So 10 years ago, like right now, data science is the big thing. There was a time when big data was a big thing, but I feel like big data is still a big thing. And and everything in that hierarchy is going to keep increasing. So there is no, I don't think we would ever hit a, a point where these things would go down, at least yeah. for the next 10 to 15 years. And the thing is that by the time you graduate and by the time you have um, have worked in this industry for 10 to 15 years, you will be the experts in these fields, right? Yeah. So um, that expertise uh, would always be um, very high value in the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I have one last question for you, and that is, I was reading this book called "Hello World" by Hannah Fry. Inside of mm-hmm. it, she was talking about how these uh, ML models are biased towards, uh, let's just say that there is inter, uh, there was this ML model that was used by Polis in mm-hmm. US itself uh, mm-hmm. to determine uh, if this particular uh, prisoner would actually commit a crime again. And yeah. inside of that, what happened is that the people who were black. Okay, they had a more likely chance to commit another crime. So, how do you yeah. take those biases into account and make sure that the models are uh, not having these sorts of biases? Um, so, yeah, actually, this is a topic that has been discussed a lot, especially uh, in the Bay Area right now. Is that your model is as good as the data that you provided, and yeah. your model will be biased as long as the data is biased. And uh, to your point, um, there are several studies or biases will exist because of the way humans have designed the models and not be- it's not the model's fault as such so mm-hmm. to give a couple of other examples as well so uh, it seems that all of the uh, the car um, uh, like, like the, the braking and the airbags and all of the uh, mechanisms uh, for protecting the, the driver while driving in case they have an accident they were actually built assuming that the average driver is um, an adult male and adult males obviously have a much higher let's say body weight or height or or, or strength or, or even neck strength for that matter compared to an average uh, female who will probably be shorter in height um, and so that and and by doing this you're actually and this is something that's really really dangerous right that you are only catering to half of the population and yeah. the other half is in actual physical danger of not being protected by whatever mechanisms you have or that because um, 
the data had so many like over here uh, there was a study which said that even in the police database uh, its ability to identify um, like a white male is so much higher than being uh, being able to identify a female person of color and i think we see these examples every day coming up and uh, i think the only way to deal with it is to be able to normalize whatever data that you have with the demography that you are trying to use it on so for mm -hmm. example and that is something that coursera also faces as a challenge just to give um, a very simple example is that in the us people play baseball but yeah. baseball is not a sport that a lot of other countries play mm -hmm. and let's say if a person is make if an instructor is making a course for the entire world and if they keep using baseball references for example then mm -hmm. they might not realize it because they are in the us but a lot of people might not get that example mm -hmm. or might not get what the professor is trying to talk about because no people don't know it so yeah. in that sense i think that having diverse people in the team is something that we really value and focus on is because diverse people bring diverse perspectives and mm -hmm. somebody would be able to point out that hey we don't really play baseball in half of the world so maybe that example will not ring with a lot of these people so i feel like uh, to be able to make your data unbiased you will have to have people uh, in your team or in your culture um, that somehow uh, reduce the bias and the only way to do that is at least in my opinion is to have a more diverse set of people like for 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 the people who are building all of these car testing if half of their population or if half of the people on their team were were women for example i'm mm -hmm. sure that they would have come up with a better model just yeah. because those would have brought a different perspective so i feel like all of that starts with the people that are creating the model and how unbiased they are and their ability to be able to recognize bias in their own data all right okay thank you jhohi that was an amazing uh, time interacting with you and uh, yeah thanks a lot for joining me here i hope the audience will, would be able to uh, understand and uh, you know decide upon their careers so yeah thank you so much and uh, guys if you want to ask any questions from her i'll leave the links uh, to her socials uh, linkedin and instagram in the description and you can check it out so yeah thank you so much jhohi thank you shan have a nice day so yeah that is the podcast episode let me know what you think about this in the comment section below i personally had a lot of fun talking with her you can also connect with her i'll link uh, her social handles in the description so go check it out but yeah i hope you enjoyed this episode if you are still watching thank you so much and just write it down in the comment section below that you are watched till the end right you just comment that in the comment section below thank you so much for watching i'll see you in the next one bye bye